Yeah. So we are live. Okay. Welcome to the Curious Dropout Podcast, Thank Caleb. Thank you for having me. Awesome to have you on. Thank you. Happy to be here. I'm uh, very interested to everything that you do because there's so many different things. Very like out in the ballpark <laughs> here, out in the ballpark here. Yeah. But the thing that seems for me that all, all of these different projects that you have have in common, of course you like them, but also that they all somehow generate some form of income. <laughs> That's the idea. They so, are, sadly, not all of them, but <laughs> but it seems but like most of them. And most of them do. Uh, so I definitely want to hit that because that's so interesting at such a young age. Can you just share how old are you? I don't. Twenty-one. I'll be twenty-two in six days. Six days. Six days. So when I first met you, you were just twenty. Yes, I turned. I turned because we met almost exactly a year ago. So yeah. I turned twenty-one a few days after I met you. And you know what's really funny? What? I just realized before doing this podcast is you were the first person, the very first person I met coming to St. Pete. I would hope so. <laughs> because if I wasn't, you would have been on the street. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so for the people listening, how we met is uh, you were my, my host, my Airbnb host. I was. So I'd set out coming to St. Pete. I was like, I am going to buy a place and I'm going to be renting on Airbnb until I buy a place. <laughs> That's one way to speed up the process. Yeah. And nobody wants to pay Airbnb for that no. long. And luckily you gave me a, a discount after the first few weeks. Uh, friends. Yeah. We became friends quick. Yeah. So that was, that was awesome. Um, so going on to the point of that's one of your hustles, like I yes. suppose having an Airbnb, do you want to touch a little bit on the first ever hustle that you had? The first one, like way, way back? Let's go way, way back. Okay, so very first... Um, how, how way back can we go? Because <laughs> Well, my first job was, I was 11, but that's not really a hustle, that's just a job. I was, it was seasonal, I was selling Christmas trees. Okay. And I lived next door to a Christmas tree farm and they, they didn't make us, but we, we dressed up as elves. And we would go out with families and we would cut down tr Christmas trees. And my job was to cut it down, carry it, uh, clean it out, put it through the baler so it just cinches it down, put it on top of their car, and then tie it to the car, make sure that it won't fall off. You even had to lift it at You even 11. had to lift it, yeah. Oh, boy. Yep. And then uh, that was that. After that, um, my actual first hustle was I had a four-wheeler. Um, my, my dad bought a four-wheeler when I was a kid. I was like 12, 13 at this point yeah. with a snowplow. And I tried going down my road to, and I would knock on doors to try to plow their driveway. It's like a job. It's, that was my first technical hustle. That's really smart. Yeah. Yeah, because when you're younger, you can kind of get away with any any little hustle because there's you're not going to have the IRS coming after you. Yep, <laughs> no, it definitely has gotten got more complicated experience. since then. So, uh, kids out there, but get yeah. started too. Yeah, honestly, if you can like if you can build enough hustles from like 12 to 18 and not have to worry about legalities, you're doing good. You're Your parents are going to have a nightmare, but you're doing okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's smart because usually you hear people like kids like doing something, but they have to go out with a snow shovel. You had like a four wheeler. So had a four wheeler. Like, yeah. Do many drives. Yeah, we could do a lot. And then uh, when I got my driver's license, we got a jeep, uh, and the, then the jeep had a snow plow as well. So you then later on did the plowing. So that was the a jeep, few yeah. years that you did. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, you have to make the best of it because it's cold. 
Yeah. And you only want to be on a four-wheeler for so long in the cold. Yeah. So eventually you want something with heat. So getting heat was a game changer. Fair enough, fair enough. Do you, do you remember like the driving factor that you had at that age for doing this? Um, because obviously no. you have a roof over your head, you have food. Yeah, yeah, I had, and I like, um, I always had super awesome parents. Like, I, ne I never had to work for anything necessarily. Yeah. Like, they, they made me work. Like, I worked with them a lot. They pushed me to be very responsible, and I had a lot of chores because I was an only child. Mm. So I had to do, you know, all of the chores. Um, but, yeah, no, I have no idea why I had drive back then. I know why I do now. But back then, not a clue. It just was something that I had. Yeah. And it never went away. So, yet. Knock on wood. <laughs> yeah, no. Hopefully it stays because yeah. uh, it seems like the trajectory is just up from here. Especially, like, I, I feel like I'm always the youngest person in the room doing things. But speaking to someone who's, like, a whole, like, few years <laughs> younger than me gets me even more motivated. Like, hey... What have I been sleeping around for? Like this guy, this younger guy's gotten all this like online businesses and this and that. Yeah. Why am I not keeping up? So. And the the thought of that actually is intimidating to me because once I'm I'm coming up on the time when I'll start having friends who are younger than me. Right now, every single one of my friends is older. My youngest yeah. friend is I think 25. So as soon as I have friends <laughs> that are younger than me. Yeah. I, and if they're, I, I'm worried how I'll react, like being completely transparent, I'm worried how I'll react if they're hustling harder than me or working harder than me, mm. because I've never had to, had to like feel that. That'll be a completely new feeling because I've always been the youngest person in the room. Yeah. Well, that would be even more motivating then maybe. Hopefully. Maybe there'll be a little bit of uh, like a jealousy or anger come in, but... I think it's the driving Probably. factor of like, hey, I don't want to be beaten by this kid yeah, exactly. who's younger than me. Yeah, who is this kid? He's like six months younger than yeah. me. <laughs> but to be fair, on the online stage, there's like people doing all sorts oh of things. God. So it's like... It, it would only be in my peer group. Like yeah. it would have to be somebody in St. Petersburg that Worth would actually like affect me. Because I know there's like kids making outrageous amounts of money. I yeah. mean, there's 17 year olds making bags on TikTok, which more power to them. I think that's awesome. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's motivating. If I was funnier, that could have been me. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's also like goes to show you that comparison is, is toxic if you do it on a large scale. Of course. Like, there's some healthy parts to it, but in the end, it's going to be you against you. Yeah, so exactly. you'll be comparing yourself towards like what do I want to be doing and what did I do last year and what do I want to do better? Uh, right. Yeah. So going on there from snowplow hustling, uh, getting all the driveways plowed, yep. to now, what are some of the ones that you're doing now? Um, so things that worked because there was plenty that didn't. Yeah, go, go through, I want to hear first like some of the real blunders and then we're, like we're through blunders first yeah okay. and then lead up to the more juicy okay because you're still tr you're still doing different things and trying things out of course like i yeah, just heard I, last I, conversation a few interesting ones so yeah. go, go ahead with the blunders because I, uh, I haven't had I, too many i fail a lot yeah. I, I mess things up a lot and that's something that i'm not like ashamed of mm. i think that the more often you fail the faster you can adjust and 
if you fail more often, you will progress faster. Yeah. So one of the ones that comes to mind, and it's, it's still going, and it is sustaining, and I think that it's a time thing, but um, it was an affiliate marketing website, um, and I didn't know anything about affiliate marketing. It was like one of those times when I Googled, like, hey, side hustles to start in 2021 or whatever. Yeah. And it's at affiliate marketing. I was like, okay, cool, let's do it. It can't be that hard. Um, I started a website. Can you just explain really shortly for people who have no idea who are listening to the podcast, like, as briefly condensed as as possible what affiliate marketing is? Yes. Affiliate marketing, in a sense, is you have a link from a company. So Amazon is the biggest um, gatekeeper, not gatekeeper, gateway to affiliate marketing because you can sign up for what's called Amazon Associates. And that is a program that you go on Amazon and you find a product. And then you click get your link and it will give you a link. Now you take that link and you link it in your website that gets views. Um, If somebody clicks on that link and buys said product, you will get a percentage of the sale. Mm. It's very small. On Amazon it's one to eight percent usually. Yeah. Um, so, for example, with the snowplow, if you have your online thing saying, snowplowing is amazing, here's my snowplow that I yep. use, and you link it, exactly. you get a cut. Yep, okay. exactly. Which, doing bigger items like a snowplow is actually a really good way to do it. Um, I did it with coffee. So, uh, part of the problem with this particular business was, I did not, I'm not super tech friendly. Um, I don't know a lot about SEO, I didn't know more now, but when I was starting this, I didn't know anything about SEO, backlinks, um, keywords, meta descriptions, building a profit, like a website that will get people to look at it. Yeah. I also didn't have any social media following, not that I do now, but I didn't have any way to drive traffic to this website. Yeah. I could pay for ads, but it's not profitable enough to make sense. So all I was doing was building a website and putting stuff on it, nobody was seeing it. Now some some people are seeing it. You know, we get right around maybe five thousand views a month, which is not as much as it sounds like, because of that five thousand views, maybe one hundred and fifty of them click anything, whether yeah. that's a page or anything. So that is doing better. I haven't given up on it yet because I have it pretty much self sufficient to where it's running itself. Yeah. Um, so I'm just giving it time to grow because that's something that I learned is. For these blogs to really get a lot of traction, they need time. So Google ranks blogs based on how long they've been around. So that was something that I didn't realize, was this was like a five-year thing before you're really gonna get traction. Yeah. So I'm hoping for the best in So you're playing more the long, long game on that one. Yeah. But that still seems like uh, a blunder that is continuously blunders, your, small blunders you're making for learning experiences to grow it. Of course. Like and last conversation we had around the coffee uh, online store was that you're realizing that it takes a long time and that you don't want to spend all your time doing that. So you have someone doing it full time for you or like doing e- everything yep. regarding that website. Yep. So I, I learned a lot with that website. Um, one thing was to lengthen my time horizons. Yeah. The second was hiring, um, finding somebody reliable and working with them to. Um, hand things off. So now I have a level of comfortability with a guy that I've been working with for over a year now, and he does everything now. So yeah. I pay him, 
he's overseas, um, he writes X amount of articles a month, he updates old articles, he updates the website, makes sure everything's running right, and he does it all. Yeah. Can you, do you have any learning experiences from how it was hiring a person like that uh, for online? Yeah, so Fiverr and Upwork are very common services now. Um, it's very easy to find help. Most of them are overseas, so prices stay relatively low. The problem is virtually anybody can sign up for those services. So finding quality work is pretty tough. Yeah. Um, even sifting through reviews is kind of a horse apiece. You can't always find a really good candidate. Yeah. But if you can find somebody and work with them for a longer period of time and make your uh, intentions clear, tell them you're looking to work with them for a long period of time, yeah. generally you get treated a little better and you can build a relationship with somebody. Yeah and then you find that rapport and things start going better and then you decide, hey, I want to work with you long term. Yeah, so sounds like, again, like relationships play a key, key factor. As they do in everything, <laughs> of course, yeah. Okay, so that's one blunder. That, that one's still like going on. Do you have a blunder that just like completely, like you tried it and it was like awful and it was like... Yeah, I do. I do. Um, and then we can get onto the juicy, the real sure. juicy ones. So the one that completely flopped the most was the one that I had the most conviction in. Um, I, at a very young age, decided I wanted to be a stockbroker. Okay. That was that was the future. I watched The Wolf of Wall Street, and it was game over. I am going to work on Wall Street. I'm going to be a stockbroker. That's that. Yeah. And then I grew up, and I realized, okay, well, stockbrokers are a dying industry. You can do everything from your phone, so that's probably, I should probably pivot. So I said, okay, well, let's just be a stockbroker for myself. So I went down the day trading route, um, which is just a terrible idea for 99% of people. Um, so I tried day trading. I did all this stuff. I learned it all. I learned as much as I could, and I started doing it. And the sustainability is just really not there. Mm. There are ways to trade that is profitable and there's even like ways to trade weekly that are profitable, which I still do, I love trading. It is still one of my passions, but technical day trading, terrible idea. Mm -hmm. So trying to trade stocks on you know 30 second time frames, it's a loser's game. Unless you have, unless you are a broker dealer or a market maker. You have big capital or insider or information. Or massive, yeah, of course. Yeah. And yeah, it's just, it's a losing game. So I lost a good chunk of money doing that yeah. before I learned. I was like, okay, well, this is probably a bad idea. Well, some of the, the lessons that are the hardest to learn are the ones that stick with us the longest. So. That was probably the most valuable lesson. I also paid the most for it. Yeah. <laughs> I lost way more than I ever paid for college. So I need to make sure that I learned more from that than I did in college. college. Okay, yeah. So but yeah. I called it my tuition. Yeah. I called it my stock market tuition, which is fine. Yeah, I, I have similar experiences, so I can I can relate to that. Um, but they do they do they do hold on to you. If if you have a sting to it, you never forget it. So it's yeah, not be to mention I didn't delete the account. The account's still there. I still see the red. I still see the negative. Like yeah, as a reminder. Yeah, it's it's not going anywhere. Yeah. Okay. So that's that's definitely a big flop. Losing your like more than your college tuition. Yeah, that was a that was a flop. Uh, so that makes probably everyone at home feel a lot better that like your failures are just like, 
you fail, you move on, you try it something will new. Always happen. Yeah, failures are not going anywhere. You should look at them as a positive. Yeah, same as bad news. I have a, I have a philosophy on bad news. Okay, that let's any hear. any bad news, it, it exists either way. So the faster you find it out, it's better news. So mm. good news is bad news found out quickly. Good news. An example. Yeah. You have an illness. You go to the doctor and you find out that you have this illness. You have the illness either way. Finding it out is better than not finding it out. For sure. So your bad news is your good news. Yeah. If you can flip your flip your perspective of that, things will Yeah, be and the more the more insight you have into the reality that you're working in, the better choices you can make with that information. Uh, so the more mistakes and more learning lessons you have, the yep. better equipped you are for the next choice you make or decision you have to get through. Uh, so those are some blunders. Now let's, blunders. let's get into some of the more juicy ones of ones that are ones that have been working out a little bit better lately. Yes. Um, where do you want to start? So uh, honestly, like I like the one that you mentioned last because uh, just a funny side note, last uh, time I met Caleb, he handed over a, a hose to me. <laughs> Uh, a garden hose and I needed a garden hose so that was great but I was like a little bit like you know that could be considered a blunder too that one but that's that's a not, I, I, I still like that story so I do too I, I want to I want to go into the okay how sure. you got into gar garden hoses sure so um, I knew that I wanted to explore e-commerce it was something that I had a little bit more business being in because like I said, I didn't know anything about online business like when I first started the website. I didn't know about SEO, keywords, anything like that. I had no business starting a website, let alone a blog. I didn't enjoy writing. People hmm. that start blogs, they enjoy writing. They yeah. hate writing. I don't know what I was thinking. But nevertheless, the e-commerce side of things, I knew I had interest in because yeah. I know how to sell. I know how to write ads. I know how to make ads. So that all comes naturally to me. Yeah. Um, so exploring that was something that I wanted to do for a while. So I went to Amazon, and I wanted to do Amazon FBA. It is kind of like a form of drop shipping, but I think it's a little better than drop shipping because you have obviously the power of Amazon. Yeah. So. Again, just for the audience, break it down. Drop shipping. Yes. Uh, so what, what it, is that? Amazon FBA, in a sense what you do is you find a product, you get that product manufactured, and you ship it to Amazon's warehouse, and they handle the picking, packing, and shipping process. So I don't know where the name dropshipping comes from, but with FBA, you don't really use it. I don't know if they're yeah. the exact same, but essentially it's very hands-off once you get past the initial startup. So technically, it's like having your own store and all your own employees, but you don't have to manage any. Exactly. So I wanted to get into that. So I spent, you know, probably a couple hundred hours studying Amazon FBA. Um, figured out how to start, how to research products, how to find winning products, how to manufacture them, how to ship them. That was a hard part. Um, and I went from there. Mm. So. I did my research on Jungle Scout. That's the software that you use to pick a product, right? So it's a software that siphons through all of Amazon's inventory. 
yeah. and you can filter it based on its um, sellability, how much it's selling, how many competitors you're going to be dealing with, um, how many keywords are ranking for it, a lot of stuff like that. It was yeah. a lot to take in. It's a huge software. Think like Excel for Amazon. Mm. So I learned that, and that let alone took probably 50 to 100 hours just to learn that software. From there, I started using the software to find a product. So I find my product, which as now we know is garden hoses. That was the first thing. <laughs> yeah. I know. It's, but it's all the numbers, all the data said this would win, right? This is the winning, winning yeah, one. Yeah, this is the winning one. So I order my garden hoses. Uh, well, back up. I need to learn how to order garden hoses because I've never ordered you know, 200 garden hoses. So I go to Alibaba, um, Chinese manufacturer. I find the manufacturer overseas. I negotiate with a few different people. I find a price that I like. Mm. I get the length, the color that I like, and I pick everything out, right? And I get it manufactured, send it over to the Amazon warehouse. So the shipping process was actually, in my opinion, the hardest and most intimidating part because you pay for it and you know, you're talking a few thousand dollars of setup depending on how much inventory mm. you order. So you're paying for all this inventory and now you have it, but you need to get and it. And I, I, I also like did this setup like when I was like, I'm not sure, like 16, 17, like trying to order from Alibaba. Okay. And it is an intimidating process of having to speak with someone all the way over in a foreign country yep. and kind of negotiate that setup and yeah. make a transfer of your own money and you're like, is this just going to be a scam? Or like, is, am I yeah. actually, is it going to get delivered to the right place? Is there going to be is something that goes wrong? It, so it's intimidating. I that, yeah. And there's, there's a lot of little stuff that you don't think about later on that I even left out, like the language barrier. So you can tell that they're using Google Translate, which sometimes makes for miscommunications, which mm. is one thing if you're just communicating but when you're communicating about a multi-thousand dollar order, yeah. those small communication errors can result in thousands of dollars of error. Yeah. So you have to be very diligent about that. And then you're also, you're the business owner. They are an employee. So they're not going to reply to you at 10 o'clock at night, their time. Mm. China is, I don't even know how many hours Probably ahead or behind, but I'm guessing yeah. about 12 because right around 9 p.m., is when I start getting responses. <laughs> yeah. So I'm getting ready for bed and you know, getting, finishing up dinner, doing whatever, and I, my phone starts blowing up. So not to mention the negotiation process is usually about a week long, all happening in the middle of the night. Yeah. So for about a week, your sleep schedule is completely screwed up because you're communicating between the hours of 9 p.m. if you're in Eastern time, like we're in Florida. So yeah. 9 p.m. and midnight usually are when I would communicate with them. Yeah. So there's that too. Long story short, um, place my order, and I am starting to learn about the shipping process to Amazon. So, like anybody, I go to Google, and Google contradicts itself, as always. Um, one thing will say this, one thing will say the opposite. So, <laughs> trying to figure it out is very difficult. Amazon is no help at all. Their, yeah. their help department for sellers is terrible. But, so, to ship to there, you have to have a label on every single individual product. So if I had 200 hoses, I needed 200 labels all stuck on that hose, right? Each individual one, yeah, yep. okay. So I need to send this, you need to find your label list, you need a UPC code, which you can buy online apparently, which I learned, barcodes mania, you go on, you buy a UPC code, it's like 10 bucks, call it a day. Yeah. So 
you send all this stuff over to the manufacturer, ask them to stick on, sometimes they'll charge you a fee, might be 50 bucks to stick on 200 labels, whatever. Yeah. No big deal. So go from there, I get it shipped to Amazon. You're talking probably about 30 days, probably about a month's worth of shipping. Hopefully you don't get caught up in clearance, which is can be a week to two weeks. Yeah. Then you're at you know a month and a half, two months. Um, then you have arrival. I'm Amazon. just like so curious. I want to fast forward to the process of like when you get your first garden hose sold. Like, how's that? Like, so that for I don't know if it happens like this for everybody, but yeah. long story short, my hoses get to Amazon. Yeah, they arrive, and I'm like, okay, awesome. So seems like this was real. I ordered real hoses. Good news. Like, I did oh. not just waste multiple thousands of dollars on not garden hoses. <laughs> <laughs> so that was great news. Um, I edited my listing, got my pictures ready, I got my description all set, and bam, we went live. Yeah. First day, I think we sold one hose. I was like, okay, awesome. Yes. One hose, I will take it. <laughs> Second day, we sold like four hoses. It's like, whoa, this is awesome. Uh, even more. Third day, we sold 10 hoses. So, wow, this is awesome. Fourth day, 15 hoses. Fifth day, shit, we're gonna run out of hoses fast. Yeah. So I like get on there and I'm like, hey, I need hoses. ASAP. Like, <laughs> I need hoses. so many more hoses because I did not order enough. They say you're supposed to order a month's worth of inventory on your first order. How do I know what a month's worth of inventory yeah. is? Yeah, you don't know exactly how many people no are going to want your hose. Of course not. Yeah. Two hundred was not enough. And can we get into the details so people understand the scalability of this? Um, how much it, you you shortly went over this with me last time we talked, but just to get it for the audience. How much per hose, how much are you making per hose, basically? Sure. Um, I guess I'm not selling this anymore, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. um, I was landed cost, which is cost of the hose, shipping, and then um, delivery to Amazon. I was in around $12. Yeah. Um, I was selling for $49.99, and then Amazon's going to take about a third of that. My model is thirds, right? So a third for your product and shipping, a third for Amazon fees, and then a third for profit. Yeah. I was pocketing somewhere after advertising and stuff, somewhere in the range of 20 bucks a hose. Not crazy, not great. I was at about a 35% margin, give or take. Yeah. I would run deals like the clip coupons on Amazon, like clip this coupon, save $2 or whatever. Yeah. That helps a lot. Um, so yeah, that was that process. So to get that into perspective, like I like doing the numbers of like, okay, how much is my time going to be worth doing this? And basically it's a lot of initial time into learning about everything mm -hmm. and that's the initial effort. But once you got started, it's like the process is a lot just making the order and having the orders continue to go through and have the marketing. I'm, I'm guessing. You can, you yes. can fill me in on that if I'm wrong. No, nope, you pretty much know. But then you have basically $20 per hose, and if you're selling 10 hoses after the third day, whatever, that's 200 a day that you're kind of putting in your pocket, uh, and that's a hustle that you have created for yourself. So that's pretty cool to see, and then you can scale it, and you can say, like, what's the top hose? Like, you have the software, so you can see what the other competitors mm -hmm. are making, and do you want to just share quickly how much the top hose guy was making? Um, if I remember right, so this software that I use, Jungle Scout, yeah. like you said, it gives me details of every other seller and their estimates, but they're pretty spot on. Um, the top guy was selling probably in the range of $125,000 a month of hoses. 
Yeah. And that was that was an established brand. So I don't know if you want to get into how I stopped selling hoses. Uh, <laughs> you can surely mention that, but then I'm more I'm also curious of the mentalities that go into being an entrepreneur on that, but sure. surely mention it. And sure. We'll move on. So the guy that was the top seller was a company called Pocket Hose. Yeah. They're selling one hundred twenty-five thousand dollars a month in hoses. Um, on my third order of hoses to Amazon was when I had surpassed them in uh, daily sales, not monthly. I was not making one hundred twenty-five thousand dollars a month or anywhere close to it, but I had one day that I surpassed them in daily sales. And that set off a trigger for them. And I checked my email and I had a cease and desist order in yeah. my email from Pocket Hose. I'm just imagining the boss or guy who's running that company getting the information and finding out, hey, Caleb, 20, 21 year old is selling more per day than me after his first well, a few weeks in business? What's, what's this? In, uh, in some respect, he had uh, no idea because I had everything under an LLC, of course. Of course, um, yeah. Thankfully, because he sent me a cease and desist uh, to yeah. stop selling the hoses. Um, he had a patent on the, on the technology of it expanding. I think that I could have fought it, and I probably would have won. Yeah. But the cost and the legal battle of fighting a big corporation like that is not worth my time. No, for I, sure not. I, I weighed the pros and cons, and yeah. there's so many products out there. I decided it wasn't worth it, yeah. just to move on. So that's that's how I ended up stopping selling garden houses. For sure, um, I'm very interested to to hear. I, I like hearing people's different like principles they have for their life or uh, operating in business, and not just like the short tips of like. Uh, do this marketing and you will get this result like so I'm interested to see if you have any um, kind of insights or principles uh, that you work that you live by a kind of sure for business and for for these sorts of things that's tough um, I, I should have more yeah. but, and I think part of it is because I am young I'm still learning them still figuring out what works. I'm in such a trial and error period of life, which I feel like a lot of us are, you know, until yeah. we hit that 30 or 40 range. Maybe I'll never get out of it, which is fine. Yeah. Uh, but everything I do is trial and error. Like, that's why I say I love to fail a lot. The more you fail, the more you learn. Um, there's nothing, there's no hard <laughs> principles. Even, even that sounds like you're saying, I, I can't answer the question, like I, I don't have enough, I'm still trying and failing, but even that itself sounds like a principle like, I, you just want to continue like, trying there's, and failing. There's two that come to mind, and the biggest one, and this was a lesson that I learned last year, and it was to lengthen my time horizons. Hmm. Um, between the ages of you know 17 and 20, I had really short time horizons. Like I was 20 years old, fresh out of college, um, just starting any kind of business and starting to the, the wheels were starting to turn. Yeah. I was freshly 20 and I was like, I was writing a goal board, right? I was writing like down my goals for the next year, like goals before I'm 21. On there, I had like hardly any money. I was hardly doing anything. And I wrote on my goals, buy an Audi R8. I was like, I want to buy this $80,000 car within the next 12 months. Mm. Where am I going to make 80 grand in 12 months? It's just not, it's not realistic. And I didn't know that at the time. 
Now, I acknowledge um, time horizons need to be longer. Yeah. So now, every single thing I start or I do, if I can't see myself doing it for five years, I won't start it. Yeah. That's how I weed out any new idea. Because that's another problem that I have is I get so many new ideas that I want to start everything, and then pretty soon I have four you know, sticks in the fire all burning out. But yeah, you can't control any of them. You can't. So, longer time horizons. Yeah, that one I definitely want to touch on more because that, one's, that one is huge. Because I think in this day and age of constant stimulation, of having instant gratification, whether it's on your of phone course. or food or whatever, like we're not conditioned to actually think long-term. Of course, and it, we it's what we fast. consume. People see um, these kids blowing up on YouTube that make yeah. you know, 100 grand a month, and they think that that's super feasible. Yeah. When it's not in reality, if you want to make anything substantial on YouTube, more than likely you're going to make videos for five years without seeing any views. You might get 25 views. Like, yeah. Make videos for five years and then assess. Or sell something for five years and then assess. And continuously improve on those five years of learning because when you're the first year doing YouTube, you're not going to be the best YouTuber and God, you're not no. going to have the biggest audience. It's, no. And people uh, get, specifically with YouTube, they get so stuck on having the best camera, the best equipment, the best studio, the best lighting, the best soundproofing, all of that when really if you just make the videos, you're going to find out what's bad and what's not. Yeah. Like your camera might be just fine. And also just like being, being consistent over that long time horizon. Because so if you have a long time horizon and you're just continuously doing it, there's not going to be many people who stick with something for five years. So you're automatically yeah. going to be at the top of your field. That's my second principle. So oh. that was my second one, is consistency. Well, yeah, okay. yeah, it was the second one. So showing up, if you show up every single day for X amount of years, you will surpass, I would say, 90% of the comp competition, yeah. there might be 10% left. There's going to be the new people that come in, but you're already past them. So just by showing up, you are going to put yourself leaps and bounds ahead of everybody else. Yeah. It comes down to what we just said before we clicked record on this podcast. <laughs> if you make 21 podcasts and release 21 podcasts, you are in the top 1% of podcasters. Yeah. Just by showing up. You could have the worst podcast on the planet, but if you make 21 of them, top 1%. So guys... Just a few more weeks, we're gonna be in the top one percent of one percent club. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's that's. Uh, it's pretty insane to try and get your head around that. That it's not so much that you need. You don't need extra talent. You don't need extra money. It's like you just need to be consistent mm -hmm. for a long time. Just have to outlast everybody else. Yeah. It's it's so interesting. It reminds me of like what my teacher said to me when I was younger. Like. There's only like one person or few, few people in this country going to be able to be a professional soccer player or going to be able to have, be a business owner or a millionaire or whatever. So why do you think everyone can do it or that you can do it? And I was thinking to myself later on like, but how many people out of all the people actually stick with something for 10 years? Like if someone actually has an idea and sticks with it for 10 years, What's the percent of success for people who stick with something for 10 years consistently? That number has to be drastically different of than the whole overall population. Oh, there's just 1% that can be an artist, or there's just this and that that can do that. It's like, well, it's delayed, how many people, how many people just like 
don't do it. Don't stick with it. Yeah. yeah. Delayed gratification. So I, I love those two principles. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of notch them in and remember them even more. Put them more. on the list. Well, it's yeah. like it's like that artist, and I I don't know which artist it is. I think it was Picasso, but there is an artist, and his paintings were worthless while he was alive. He died. Then they became worth something. They were worth a bunch, bunch of money. Was that Picasso? Do you know? It was. It was one of the big artists. One, one and, big guy, yeah. And his paintings blew up, like Bitcoin style, blew up. Like they're so worth everything, but only after he died, did people decide that his paintings were worth any money. Yeah. So, he might have, you know, he might have outlasted a little too much, but I guess consistency. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so at the moment in your life now, you're trying to aim for those two things and see how they pan out. Uh, have you had a long enough time span on any of the things that you're doing to kind of feel that confirmation that that is, um, something that works? No. Yeah. Nope. Um, I thankfully... And I think this is something you, you can develop, but you can also just be born with it. And thankfully, I think I was born with it to where I do not have to have gratification or results for anything to continue doing them. Mm. And everything, I have such, now I have such long time horizons and such distant goals that I know that I'm not going to see any true progress for them until a couple years from now. Yeah. I think having this conversation in three, four, maybe five years, the answer will be different. But nothing's had enough time to grow. Yeah. I've, I've done stuff that has worked and stuff is working. But until I have, I guess I have like a number in my head that like once something makes X amount of dollars, it, it has worked. It is a true success like yeah. through and through. And I'm not there yet. And that number is definitely going to be different for everyone. Of course. What they're looking for. Um, but that, that, that is, uh, it's very much, um, wise that you can see like, Hey, I can, I can be at this point. I cannot see results. I have not hit what I want to hit. But I still kind of somewhat have, I have faith that it's, it's going to pan out, that I'm going to do these things and that eventually they will yeah. work out. And I think part of that is I'm pretty good at identifying progress. And if I know that I am putting one step in front of the other, and I know that there is some forward progress, even if it's the smallest amount, that's fine. Yeah, you know and that over time it's going to compound. Yep. Yeah. Um, it's 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 crazy crazy to 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 meet people uh, that have that because as soon as I see someone being able to put aside uh, the short term gratification and actually be able to do something long term mm -hmm. at a young age, like I haven't met a lot of them, but the people that I do meet, like even if I don't like I don't see you in a like. $20 million villa driving your Audi or whatever. I know that you're a character that if that's something that you want, that might not be something that you want, but if that's something that you want, 
you have the ability to actually achieve that over a long time horizon because you will put in that effort and be smart enough to uh, make those failures and then redirect yourself in that direction. And I think just in the first weeks of uh, me interacting with you, I kind of had that. I was like, right, this 20-year-old is able to have this sort of... Uh, conversation around negotiating an Airbnb thing and realizing that, hey, uh, me getting a lower day price on the Airbnb, but having it, a good relationship with this person and being able to build that, again, long-term, <laughs> long-term thinking and being able to be like, okay, even for the short or middle term, it's like, well, I'll have the place booked and I don't need to worry about having rebooked, but it's like the relationship as well is, is valued as well. Exactly. Um, yeah. The uh, the stars definitely aligned. Yeah. For me, they de they definitely did. Um, I I think that a lot of certain things worked out perfectly in my life that set me up to have the mindset that I do. I don't know what they were. Mm. I can't identify them, but something along the way fell into place that worked out really well. And yeah. I'm forever grateful for that. So there is some things that fall in place and there aren't genetics or whatever that, that just happen to be your circumstances of life that guide you to where you mm -hmm. are. But is there anything that you can identify in, in yourself, like mindsets that you have right now that benefit you in that way towards business? For sure, for sure. Can you just speak um, on some of them shortly? The uh, first one that comes to mind is, and this is back to, I'm super fortunate, I've never, I didn't grow up poor by any means. Um, never had to like wonder where my next meal was coming from or anything like that. Yeah. And I think because of that, I have this notion with money that I am not afraid to lose it. Um, mm. I will put all my eggs into one basket if I have conviction in it and if I believe in something 100%. Um, and if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. And the idea of it not working out is fine to me because yeah. I know the value of, of the lesson that I'll get from it. And I think that's something that not a lot of people have. Not a lot of people can think about the idea of losing everything and then just restarting. And being okay with that. And for me, that is not a scary thought. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a bummer of a thought. <laughs> I don't like want to do it. it. Yeah. But I think that's something that sets me apart. Yeah. And it's done wonderful things for me. It puts you in spaces that other people wouldn't be in because yeah. you are able to take that risk that, okay, there's like a yep. half percent chance that I lose everything. Yeah. And that's okay. Yep. And like I said, super fortunate to be in that position. Yeah. Um, but I don't think that's always a position of someone who grows up in that very way of not having everything. Like even if you don't have anything, you can still have that mindset of, yeah, I have something now, but I'm okay to lose it because I know that I can rebuild it again or I can. For sure. It's, I, it's, I think it comes down to scarcity. If, if you feel like it does. it's the only way I got this and it's, I'm never going to get it again, you're so scared of losing it. Yeah. But if you're like, hey, I know that whatever, I lose this, I'm going to have another way of getting it. And that's, that's the disconnect, is mm. I see so many people who did grow up on the other side where they really had to fight for everything. And those are more often than not the people who are more afraid of losing it. Mm. Understandably so. I probably would be too. But yeah. and that's why I point that out. Like, I think that scarcity mindset is what sets a lot of people back. Yeah, for sure. Is there any other mindset that you feel 
people in general that you encounter who are not really getting uh, the financial results that they want to see in their life, mindsets that they have that are not serving them, like just um, in society? Yeah. So people can kind of know what to avoid. <laughs> um, it's hard to put like one specific mindset on it because, you know, there's a lot of different types of people. You know, uh, there's the, the doomsayers, I guess I call them, like the people who are completely against investing in any way, shape, or form because they think that the, it's, the gambling. It's, it's gambling or the government's going to take your money yeah. or a, a, B, and C reason why not to invest their money. Okay, yeah. um, that's one of the biggest ones I see because I am in the investing space. So I talk to people about managing their money or investing their money and they say, well, why would I do that? Yeah, you know, I, I'm gonna retire in 30 years. I feel I like money. even if we've spoken for a while now, I feel like we've just like touched upon so few of the things you actually do. Like, I just wanna like you just you wanna uh, pivot? You wanna go to a new one? No, 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 no. I like this, but I just like know that we're not gonna get everything. So I just like kind of feel like it's it's hard because all the things that you're saying kind of have backing from all the other things that you're doing, like giving more like business financial advice. Like you're just this last weekend kind of being able to be a financial advisor, you're getting that kind of like certification. Yep. And like having been able to do real estate things and now potentially having like a $14 million sell, <laughs> potentially. <laughs> the shopping center, the yeah, shopping center. yeah. So all these things are like things that when you have that kind of on your plate and you're in those situations, I feel like that gives you some sense of um, ability to speak on business things because you're in scary situations, you're in big risk yeah. environments. Yep, uh, um, we, we should definitely touch on that so that there's some, some I have some backing to say what I'm going to say. Yeah. Um, real estate is fairly new. Um, I have been in real estate consistently now for a year, let's yeah. call it. Well, we can still touch on the on the things before, like, uh, for sure. Yeah. But um, real estate and finance always played hand in hand for me. They were always a, a double-edged sword that I wanted to wield. Mm -hmm. And real estate was first because I knew that I was going to be buying a place soon. So I wanted to learn everything I could. Yeah. I wanted to be able to handle my own deal. And I wanted to be able to help friends do the same. So. I think that our generation is going to do really well um, on the investing side of things. I don't think that they're mm -hmm. going to be a very scared generation. I want to be in the position to help as many of them as I can because there are so many um, realtors that get a bad rap. There's so many good, amazing realtors out here, that, especially that I work with. We have an amazing office and an amazing team here. But so many of them out there get a bad rap. And then same with financial advisors. Mm. Financial advisors historically have been on a fee basis, so they charge, you know, let's say one to two percent of their assets under management. Yeah. That's how much money they manage. That's a lot, and compounded over you know thirty years for somebody, that's a whole lot. Yeah, if you're speaking in millions, yeah. Yeah, even just somebody with a retirement, like a small, you know, let's small, but let's say a nurse retirement at five hundred thousand dollars when they're sixty, one percent of that. In a management fee over thirty years, it could be you know eight or nine hundred thousand dollars instead. It's a lot. Yeah, it makes a huge difference. And the reason I want to get into the space is to change that. 
I don't want to do a percentage fee. I want to do, I want to change the whole space. And I'm still learning a lot, so mm. I'm not going to do it this year or even next year. But once I am on my feet and I can do it myself, I want to change how the whole space is operating. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we can go back to. And that's again looking at the things you can achieve if you have a time horizon, a yeah. long time horizon of like yeah. five to 10 years, because that's not anything that anyone would ever think of doing if they're just thinking, of, can I do this next month? Or like seven days, get yeah. your million dollars. Like, yeah. No, uh, finance, finance comes really easy to me. That has always been my most passionate thing. So I'm really excited to finally be stepping into it because I finally feel smart enough and confident enough in myself to dive into the whole space. Yeah. So like now I'm diving into every single series exam. I'm studying for the SIE, the Series 7, the 66, the 65, the 63, yeah. all of them. So I want to have the best grasp of the spaces I can, and then I want to dive in head first. Yeah. Because now that you know, we talked about all my other things, and I have them handed off pretty you know, self-sufficiently, yeah. they don't take me as much time to manage, I can really do what I'm passionate about. Yeah, and it seems because you're so passionate about all of these things business related, real estate, investing, crypto, all of these things, it seems like those spaces kind of affect each other. So knowing uh, all of them gives you the ability then to go deeper into the one. It uh, does, for sure. It, uh, it taught me a lot and it made me a way more well-rounded individual. Um, so the example that always comes to my head is like if I'm man if I meet somebody when they're 25 and they're out of college working for Microsoft making $150,000 a year. I can craft a retirement plan for that person in such a unique way because I do have my hand in real estate. I have my hand in the stock market, in the bond market, mm. in treasuries, and even online business. So acquisitions are something that I'm starting to learn more about. So, of companies as well? Uh -huh. yeah. Yep, so I can look at somebody and I can look at their age, their income, their situation, what they want to do over the next you know, X amount of years, and I can craft such a specific plan to them rather than the typical just, if like you would go to an advisor in the 90s, they're gonna tell you a 60-40 bond stock split portfolio, 60% yeah. in stocks, 40% in bonds, and then switch it when you click closer to retirement. Yeah. Right. And it's not taking into account like, okay, how how much risk is this person? No, there's no individualism. Yeah. So they have these high high fees and they put this person in no risk things when they're twenty five. Yeah. Take some risk. Yeah. Like you can afford to take risk. You have all the time in the world. Yeah. Even I mean you, I don't know. It, yeah, it, like if, if we if we were to craft one for ourselves, it would look a lot more like, okay, until we get past a certain amount go full blast on the risk and then it's when yeah. we hit the like the insane amount that we're like okay now we have a lot like we don't want to lose all of it like exactly. let's let's go a little easy like let's yep. let's diversify. And that's why like that's a big thing that i'm on right now is my goal for next year is i need to narrow my focus because i need to practice what i preach i tell people like diversifying income is great but if you're only diversifying you know five different things that make a hundred dollars a month that's still only $500 a month. Yeah. Focus on one income stream. Build it bigger and then diversify. If yeah. you look at anybody who's built anything substantial, they have done it with one thing and they've built it to be absolutely massive. Yeah. I don't do that because I, I bounce around so much. Yeah. 
So but I need to work the, on that. The, the side point on that, because I know that's very true, true advice, like that, I have a lot of people that I respect who have been preaching that. I also know that when you're young, being able to put your foot into a lot of different puddles just for the learning experience, not for the financial aspect yeah. of that's going to generate the most money, yep. but that might generate the most learning experience. Of course. And you can't put a value on that. Yeah. Which is so. hard because I did learn a lot from my experiences. Yeah. But if I could go back, I guess I don't know. I've never thought about it. If I could go back, if I would do we the same We don't want to go way, back in time. No. 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 <laughs> no, I don't want to. But I would probably do them the same way, I guess. Yeah. But you always think about the what if, right? Like, what, what if I... And what if I did this trade yeah. and that trade? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, true. Yeah. But, but I feel like that uh, gives us some excuse as well, being able to, to say that, hey, we, we're able to do so many different things and yeah. it does pay off just for the learning experience of it. Yeah, of course. Um, I'm kind of uh, got a, a time pressure on the thing that I'm having afterwards. Is there any... Uh, wrapping up things that you would like to mention that not, exciting not really um I'm, I'm really excited to start on the finance thing so that's kind of what i'll be promoting more recently um you'll be putting more of your eggs and time and energy i into will that. yeah in 2024 it'll be real estate um financial management yeah and probably e-commerce those are going to be the things Alyssa has been talking about diving headfirst into photography business. Just to, Alyssa is your girlfriend? Alyssa is my girlfriend. Um, she, All the ladies out there, he's a taken one. <laughs> I am. Sorry. I uh, should have prefaced earlier, I guess. Um, she does videography and photography, and yeah. she has been toying with the idea of diving headfirst and turning that into a business more so than a hobby. Yeah. Um, which I think would be amazing for her. But I also know that she's going to want my help. Uh, we've talked about it, yeah. and taking on another thing is not exactly what I wanted to be doing next year. Yeah. But if she asks me, of course I will. Um, I, she's the best photographer or videographer I've ever seen, so yeah. if I have to set aside a year to build that with her, then that is what I will do. But otherwise, financial management, real estate, and e-commerce will be my three focuses, and things, yeah. social media. I, I really want to start that social media uh, building a personal image and a personal brand. Yeah. And that will be it. No new things. I'm going to hold you accountable to that. And, Somebody and, has and, to. And, and you, you to, to me as well. <laughs> Somebody has uh, to. No more crazy ideas or not too many of them. Yeah. Um, we, uh, we'll probably have to do another one of these. Yeah. We, we should do another. Um, now that we've touched on everything, we can go a little deeper on things. For sure because there's definitely some topics that I want to go deeper on, yeah. um, like mindset and you know, like principles, um, things to, that I try to live by. That's where it really gets deep and interesting. I would love to talk about that uh, more with you. Like it's, it's fun talking about the details of the different businesses, but the overall overarching principles is what I feel gives me the most uh, meaning in the things I do and the things that also Give me the both most growth. Um, anyway, Kelly, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Uh, we'll give a little shout out to the people in St. Pete. This uh, handsome guy is still a realtor, and he is always will uh, be. Yeah, still helping people with properties. So, so anybody in St. Petersburg, surrounding areas, looking to buy a house, have your money managed, advice, anything, 
reach out. My socials will all be linked. Caleb Coons anywhere. So happy to help anybody. Awesome.